Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales the Series podcast. Today, from the Grave Tales Brisbane Volume 1 book, The Death of the Wood Family. They were a family, two mature daughters and their senior mum who ran a small corner store in the Brisbane suburb of Cooparoo. But one evening in March of 1964, neighbours were woken by the sounds of emergency vehicles heading to the Wood's small shop and residence. The fire brigade found much more than they bargained for. This was not a house fire, it was the scene of a murder and the fire was lit to hide the evidence. Ah, very sad one, this one, Chris. Three innocent ladies, all senior ladies, who were running a toy store and sweet store. So the kids from the local school, which was Cooper Root State School, used to come in there regularly, and, they, you know, you'd get your little packets of lollies, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'll have three bananas and two sets of teeth. Two of them and one of those. Yeah, and a musk and whatnot. And the Grace, Meta and Rose would look after them. Grace and, and Meta were only in their early 50s. Rose was their mother. But the young man who committed this unthinkable crime was on drugs. He would later be identified as 18-year-old James Christopher Wiley Whitefoot. And he knew of the ladies, and there's a belief that he'd been in the store before. So he knew how old they were, he knew the layout of the land. And he was just after money, money mm-hmm. for drugs or whatever he wanted. So on this night, he's come back around 11.30 on a Saturday night. Meta called out to Grace, who shared a separate room with Rose, the mother, because she saw a man outside the house. You can imagine how terrifying that is for three women by themselves. So the shop was shut at this time? It was shut, yeah, 11.30 at night. They're in bed. So Meta's called out in fright that she's seen someone outside, and he had a cover over his face, a black stocking, and broke into the home by leaping through a plate glass window. So you can tell he was off the planet. And he's carrying this array of weapons. He's got, you know, surgical rubber gloves and hacksaws and glass cutters, 22 caliber automatic rifle, a fishing knife with a five, eight inch blade. He's up to the neck in weapons and he's drugged out. And the three terrified ladies have more or less said there's nothing in the house. Now, Grace has stood up to him. She's the eldest sister and she said, we don't have anything, I'm going to call the police. And he's pushed a knife to her throat, walked her into the lounge room and cut the phone cord. Now, these are the days, of course, without mobiles. So they're really at the mercy of him now, unless the neighbours can hear. Meta tries to flee and he begins shooting. He shoots Rosa and he shoots Grace. He says at one stage, they weren't dead so I stabbed them. I stabbed the two younger ladies twice each. The older lady then sat up in bed. I reloaded the gun and I shot her four or five times. I never knifed her or anything. He said in his testimony to police, I went back into the bedroom again and I saw Meta outside the back door. She must have crawled out. Mm. I dragged her back inside and I stabbed her once more. I can't imagine the terror for these ladies. I really can't. So it's interesting that the neighbours didn't hear the gunshots if they heard the emergency vehicles before mm. they heard that. Yeah, maybe because there was a few shops around, a bit of a mixture of residential, but also too, you know, gunshots are so uncommon in the suburbs that you'd probably think, is that a car backfiring? Mm. Is that a gunshot? You know, what is that noise? And, and even if you'd gone and have a bit of a look outside, you might not have seen anything anyway or thought anything more of it. So it's hard to say with that. But there was a witness, and we'll touch on Glenn shortly. Okay. So James Whiteford started a fire and left the scene. And he then went down to the Brisbane River, just at Norman Park there, for those in Brisbane who know the area. He disposed of his rifle and knife in the river, thinking, you know, well, that's it, they won't be found. He got in and had a swim, probably to wash blood and evidence off himself. And then he's returned to the scene of the crime. And poor Meadows outside on the concrete path and still alive. Now, this is an amazing woman. She was in pain and alive there for a couple of hours. Mm. He's poured two tins of lighter fluid around the room where Rosina or Rose and Grace were lying, and he set the place alight. And then he's gone home. 
met her still alive outside and she laid there for about three hours. As you said, the neighbours then stepped up because yeah. by now they probably can smell it or hear it. It's now 3.50am in the morning and a neighbour, Mr Crossland, who lived about 50 yards away, heard the crackling of the flames and told his wife to call the fire brigade while he went and had a look. You can imagine the shock yeah, of what he so. found. So he found Meta and dragged her clear of the fire and then uh, the ambulance came and took her to hospital. So unbelievably, she was still alive and the fact that she was still alive, she was able to help police to reconstruct the murder and to find him. And it's interesting because one of the things she remembered was his black pixie shoes, which must have been a fashion of the time. I think it was periwinkle. Yeah, or... 40 toes. So in two days they found him. He lived in Cooperoo with his parents in Sirius Street. S-I-R-I-U-S, Sirius Street. So a lot of people know that street. Yeah. And they waited. They set up a stakeout, his poor family, and waited for his return and, and got him. It was a traditional Queenslander on the stumps. Mm. They charged him on four counts, two of willful murder, one of attempted murder and breaking and entering. He actually confessed to the murders, which is quite unusual, and they got the whole testimony down, but he disclosed how he prepared for the murder and said he'd taken a number of amphetamine benzedrine tablets. Bennies, as they were called were at they? the time. Amphetamine, so they were uppers. So he's got his hands on those, he's taken a stack of those, and he said it gave him a rush to his yeah. system. Didn't feel any guilt, didn't feel anything except, you know, charge to go and do this crime against these four, three defenceless women. So he was sentenced to life with hard labour at Bogger Road Jail. Meta did survive, but of course, you know, she was terrified for life yeah. then, really. She went and lived with her brother and sister-in-law for a little while, but she eventually went back to the shop and, and kept it running. In her later years, she went to a retirement village and then she passed away there in January 1989, as recent as 89, yeah. at the age of 81. That was 25 years after the attack. But she was anxious and nervous for the rest of her days, according to a family member. People uh, around that area knew them because mm. the state school was only virtually over the fence from yeah. where their shop was, and that's so uh, that's where the kids went. Before that, uh, I think they had a little shop next to the theatre that was there. They did. The Roxy Theatre closed down, and they had a little store next to it, and that's why they moved to this shop. Mm. But it's interesting you say that Glenn, who has a, a blog called Brisbane Murder Blogspot, he remembers that night in 1964 and there's some comments on his site which are really interesting of people who have memory of the Wood family. But this is what Glenn said about the crime. This is not his voice. In early 1964, I bought a British Racing Green Triumph TR sports car which was immediately my pride and joy. I developed a habit of taking the long way around when coming home at night, usually late, so I could enjoy the sound of the car's exhaust note reverberating off the shop fronts as I turned into and gunned it up Cavendish Road in a southerly direction from Old Cleveland Road. I then turned right into Nola Street, which took me down to Amelia Street. I'd been out on Saturday night, the 21st of March 1964, and returned home fairly late, as usual, swinging into Cavendish Road from memory around 1.30 in the morning. As I accelerated hard, I was quickly near the front of Gracie's shop, and to my great surprise, I clearly saw a young man in a light-coloured suit looking down the road towards Old Cleveland Road. He was standing quite stationary on the footpath. As I went by, he casually watched me until I no longer had him in view. This occurred in a deathly quiet and deserted little shopping precinct in the still of the night, and I knew that it was abnormal for anyone to be loitering in the area at that time. I got home and thought little more of it and went to bed. As soon as I woke up, my mum urgently informed me that Gracie and her mum and sister had been murdered during the night. I told her what I'd seen on my way home, and I called the Woolloongabba CIB, who asked that I go there to make a statement. I wish I hadn't, because I ended up being grilled there for at least three hours on that Sunday. However, after they at last allowed me to leave, 
I was to hear no more from the police, and it wasn't long before we heard they'd apprehended the culprit. I realised I'd seen a murderer in the act. I'm unsure if at the time he'd already attacked them, but as I saw no sign of fire, I've always assumed that he broke in and committed the crimes, which must have been so terrifying for these defenceless women soon after I drove past. To this day, I can clearly recall in my mind's eye the image of him standing motionless in front of the shop, watching me drive by. It seemed as creepy then as it is in recollection today. So James Whiteford was not a model prisoner, which won't surprise you. Mm -hmm. During the early years of his sentence anyway, he was diagnosed as psychopathic schizophrenic. He attempted to recruit prisoners to escape. Then in 65, in the first years of his jail terms, he tried to kill himself. 16 years later, in 1980, he actually began studying while he was in Bogoro Jail. Okay. And in 82, he was the first prisoner to complete a Bachelor of Arts without attending any university lectures. He finished in the top listing in his year. So he was no idiot, he was just clearly... Yeah, out of it on the drugs. And he, if he was a psychopathic schizophrenic, he obviously had problems to begin with. In 87, he was described as a model prisoner and he was granted a release to work under supervision, which is a bit scary. Looks like he was paroled in 1991. So he was given two life sentences and a charge for murder and was out of prison after 27 years, which seems terribly unfair to Meta, who spent her life suffering, and to Grace and Rose, who lost theirs. He married, when he got out, he married Una Mary. He died in 2007, he was 62 years old. And his headstone's in Lutwish Cemetery in Brisbane, so you'll find it there in Kedron. Grace's shop is still on the premises, which I find amazing. I mean, I, I just, every time I go past that corner, and I go past it a lot, I can't help but look over and just give a nod to the ladies. It's, it's not, a, not the same sort of shop no, anymore, No, is it? no. In fact, one of the uh, bloggers that I just read their comments said that after the shop was closed, after Meta left, it became a gun shop for a while from her memory, <laughs> which she thought was appalling. Yeah, uh, and then it became a real estate agency. Now I'm pretty sure it's a massage shop, and, okay. you know, a, yep. a therapy, massage yep. therapy yep. shop. But the little shop's still in Tarlina Lane, T-A-R-L-I-N-A Lane, and if you want to have a bit of a look, it runs off Cavendish Row. So so Grace, Meta and Rose all rest in Balmoral Cemetery. Their graves not in good condition and, and you know, we hope as part of our plans to um, help restore that. But some of these blog comments are interesting because you remember the Roxy Theatre, did you say? Yeah. Did you actually remember it or you know no, of it? No, no, just from talking to people about what happened there, uh, they always tell you that they knew the ladies because they went to the state school, they went to the mm. pictures and, you know, it was just, you're like a lolly shop. I can remember going to one of the Queensland Police Museum lectures on this subject mm -hmm. and there were people in the audience who were adult women and men who had gone to that school who had stories about the Wood family, which I always find amazing that people, you know, have been part of this life, this crime. Which re-emphasises again, you know, part of the reason we do these is because there's stories about the people who lived in the street next to mm. you and the shop down the road from you who, who walked the streets we walk and lived in the houses we live in. Mm. And, you know, deserve to be remembered for their contribution. A lot of those kids love those ladies. You can just imagine them being kind-hearted behind the counter. Pam has written up on the Brisbane Murder blog spot that she went to Gracie's shop every day to buy lunch while she was at Cooper's school and from memory went there on the day prior to the murders that night with her mum to buy a birthday card for her sister. She said she remembers them so well. The mother, Rose, was up the back in the wheelchair looking down at the shop. Her white hair was always in little plaits. They were such a lovely family. She said they could smell the smoke from the fire at school after it happened. It was very, very sad. Yeah. Sherry remembers them too. Uh, Sherry said it was a local lolly shop when she was at school in between 1960 and 66 at Cooper Estate School. 
she said her grade two teacher, Miss Clutsworthy, used to send her up there with 10 pence for a round pie or 11 pence for a square pie for a lunch, about 10 minutes before lunch each school day. I remember the ladies, the mum in her wheelchair with her white hair and plaits, and usually in her nightie and dressing gown holding a dolly. We were told it was her second childhood. That's a nice way to put it, isn't it? I never knew which of the ladies was which. One had white hair and a bun and the other dark, straight, shorter hair. One would normally be working the lolly line at the end of the counter where the lollies were in the little windows, three a penny for raspberries, two a penny for milk bottles, and eight a penny for chocolate bullets. Wow, there were the go. Yeah, and the other lady on the hot foods and drinks counter closer to the back door. It's just such a horrendous crime. There you go. So they are up in Berlimba Cemetery. It's uh, nice to go and pay your respects, and we hope to be able to fix their grave up one day. You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Music by Kai Angles. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our website, or put together your own group and come along on our great ocean road tour. <laughs>